0: Hello and welcome to another Ulster Rugby Roundup. I'm Gareth Hannan and with me are Jonathan Bradley and Adam McKendry. We must apologise for the lack of a podcast last week. I don't know why you're laughing. At me. I forgot the <laughs> <future we> <laughs> <ever>. <laughs> <laughs> to use your Normally you give us a chance to say hello. I was about to go in there anyway. I'm so I'm so fed off by this new microphone because I can hear our theme music in my headphones now. So that totally threw me off. Oh I wonder why but, you were doing. Okay. Yeah, that was why. But uh, okay, right, we'll just start again. The music's gone, but we'll just start again. <laughs> hello and welcome to another All-Star Rugby Roundup. I'm Gareth Hanna, and with me are Jonathan Bradley. Hello, how's it going? I'm Adam McEnder. Hello. There we are, all is right with the world Well sorry for the lack of a podcast last week Sickness had hit, I'm afraid Um, I was booking everywhere basically So we weren't here But we're back again And we're on the quest for our 1,000 weekly listeners The season, well, it's all over finally Hulster have escaped from a dark season With the shining beacon of Champions Cup rugby To brighten the summer break That's good, isn't it? A well-penned line, will you hear the next one? William Shakespeare of our generation Will you hear? Kiss goodbye. Gib's gone. Dan DeLay. It's been a season of change and uncertainty and we look back at it all. We're getting more professional by the week here. We'll also take a I
1: little
2: bit... Dip- we lose a professional air when we reference the fact that we're trying to be more professional. Do you think so? Yeah. Uh, let it, that bit i that add it out. And also
1: give us a listener uh, target.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well... So well. We're, we're actually targeting 10,000 listeners. Mm. They don't, they don't have to know. Okay, okay. <laughs> 10,000 then. <laughs> Let's get this back on track. We'll take a wee look at
0: your listener questions. Um, we'll look at the Ireland squad and the, the Ireland under-20s as well, which was announced earlier. Um, but the big talking point of the week, of course, John O'Gibbs. What exactly is going on? We've had him being missing. Then he was in La Rochelle. Then he was signing. Then he was all but definitely not signing. Then his post-match comments on Saturday threw everything up in the air. In case you've somehow missed it, here's what he had to say.
3: Next season, um, yeah. Look, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know um, categorically the answer to that. Um, to be fair, I, I, I just um, I wanted to do uh, my part here as best as I can and pay back the. The, the support that I've got from Ulster, the, the people inside the, the organisation that have, have backed me up. I, I've been treated really, really well, I've been supported really, really well uh, by Ulster. Um, uh, things have been a massive challenge uh, on and off the field, but I think, uh, and I'll try to say that again in January, I do believe there's enough of the right people in Ulster to, to progress and, and, and take it forward. I don't want people to feel like uh, the performance preparation was compromised, um, that's certainly not the case. Um, I, I think the, it was a players day off and whilst that's not wholly a reason for, for, for the trip to France as such on that day, uh, it just for me is, it was the anomaly that there was three weeks in before in between games so there was a hell of a lot of detail already put in place. Um, we were trying to really scale down putting too many messages into the players' ear, and you know. So uh, I just yeah, you know, I hope supporters don't feel like, um, or I'd hate for them to think that uh, preparation was compromised because it, it certainly wasn't. And uh, you know, I think it, it came through tonight. The things that have been been built over the last uh, nine months, and you know, the last three weeks after Munster and. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't think that. For me, I feel comfortable that Thursday didn't compromise it. So, Jonathan, what
0: exactly is going on? There's an Orlando team bus just drove past our, our window. There, you guys missed
2: it. I saw the We dared to Dream as I went. Yeah. But, um, what's going on? <laughs> um, you'd have to ask John Gibbs, I suppose. And if, if you did, like like myself yesterday, you probably wouldn't get much of an answer. Um. So last Wednesday, we're currently recording this on a Monday So last Wednesday Ahead of the Ospreys game John O'Gibbs did the Ulster Rugby Press briefing To preview the game Spoke a little bit about his time in Ulster Reflecting upon it The sort of bittersweet nature of leaving How he likes everybody he's working with Go home, write this up um, Near enough finished Tweet from Le Keep. And John O'Gibbs is expected to be in La Rochelle tomorrow. That doesn't sound right. (laughs) I'm not sure that sounds believable, but in this season of all seasons, you can no longer say that doesn't sound believable and assume that that means it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I made a few phone calls. Pretty much everyone was like, that's the first I've heard of it. Um, Doesn't seem like it could be right to me. Because it turned out that nobody knew. Ulster were completely none the wiser that this was happening. Um apparently, the other coaches were none the wiser that this was happening. And, and you don't,
0: you don't think that's a case, or you're, you're obviously satisfied, and that's not a case of Ulster telling you they weren't,
2: they didn't know. But you're happy that that is a case that Ulster really didn't know. I'm, I'd be fairly confident. Um, that Ulster really didn't know where he was on Wednesday, um, Thursday, Thursday, and um, just from the people that I was talking to, not necessarily everyone that I was talking to, it wasn't like spin was being put on it or anything. Because mm-hmm. um, it was some of the people that I was talking to, there would be no reason for any spin. It was they just genuinely had no idea where he was, um, or sorry, not no idea where he was, no reason to believe that he wasn't here obviously we should point out that it was the day off during the week Mm -hmm. which is the first thing that really sort of made it suspicious because why would you have a meeting on a Thursday if you were just speculating you wouldn't pick a a Thursday unless um, you knew there was Ulster's day off which presumably you wouldn't have done unless you were uh, in the Ulster camp or covering the other schedule but so then Thursday progresses Ulster are still or people within Ulster are still fairly convinced that he's not in La Rochelle people in France um, obviously being briefed by La Rochelle's PR people convinced that he is in France and the longer the day goes on and the longer there's this gap where nobody's been able to get in contact with uh, Jono the more suspicious it becomes Mm -hmm. uh, that maybe he is in fact in La Rochelle (laughs) so uh Thursday evening then rolls around, by this stage apparently contact has been made with Ulster Um, and people within Ulster have been told that Jono was in La Rochelle but more of a relaxed general meeting not with a view to taking a job because it was family situation obviously he would still need to be returning home. So that's the, uh, the stance of the Ulster camp, um, that this has happened. Friday then rolls around. People who are talking to people within La Rochelle rather than people within Ulster. Still fairly convinced that Jono Gibbs is taking this job. Um, bit of a dead day with it on Saturday. And then Sunday in the post-match, uh, Jono not in a position to confirm or deny that he'll be at La Rochelle. The other thing to throw into this equation, of course, as well, is that earlier last week he was talking to Waikato to sort out his start date um, for what he's going to be starting there. Their season obviously starts next month, so it's a matter of some urgency there. Mm-hmm. He's flying back, and we believe is still flying back to New Zealand on Wednesday. But... All the indications are that, irrespective of what's been said to Ulster, and it's not really their issue anymore, because either way he's not the coach anymore, but um, irrespective of what's been said to Ulster, the indications are still that he's going to be at La Rochelle, not, uh, not Wiccaro next year. From, from Gibb's point of view then, I mean, he has sort of hit back at
0: anybody, claiming that his uh, journey on Thursday might have adversely affected Ulster's preparations. It was his day off, as he says. He has a life outside Ulster
2: rugby. He's leaving anyway. Where's
0: the problem? I
2: say the issue is the fact that Ulster didn't know where their coach was three days before their most important match in six years. It's um, his day off.
0: Why should they know?
1: You're speaking like there's a s- there's a difference between not knowing where your coach is and not knowing where your coach is while he's reportedly out of the country. Mm you know i you don't have to know where your coach is 24/7 every second of the day but if he's about to leave the country 3 days before you're about to play undoubtedly your biggest game of the season you have to know where he is as i said you're 3 days out from your biggest game of the season everything should be focused on that whether it's your day off or not why you're thinking about going over to interview for another job, whether it was a casual chat or whether it was an actual interview or discussion about what he would bring to the team next year. Is that not something that could wait four days until he's done with Ulster and he can visit you? Why does this have to take place on the Thursday before a massive game on Sunday? Someone involved should have said, well, sorry, sorry, Gibbs should have said, look, I'm with Ulster for, or until Sunday, I will fly over to see you next week, and I will talk it through then. What was the urgency about having it last week? You can say that it didn't impact Sunday's prep, and uh, based on how they played on Sunday, I don't
2: think it did, but... I I understand what you're saying, that it's his day off, and nobody is contracted to work 24 hours a day seven days a week but i think it's just the optics are bad <laughs> that like ulster were telling people what they thought was genuinely 100 percent the truth and it wasn't so it just created another instance of something looking a bit silly Irrespect- <laughs> irrespective of the fact that the end... At of least it's in keeping up. with the season. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it it was it, like it, the perfect end of the season. really. <laughs> but just in... The net result is obviously the same. Um, I don't think anyone for a second is suggesting that Jono Gibbs doesn't have a personal issue at home. That would be wrong. Um, because he does. And it's up to Jono to decide on what direction he wants to go with that, what direction he wants to go with his career, if the benefits or lack thereof of being in Ulster outweighed the benefits of being at home, and if that's different to the benefits of being large sale outweighing the benefits of being at home. But the problem is the lack of communication that seems to be going on between upper management and Ulster and their head coach made a three-day story, essentially. It's still still ongoing, but at this point... Yeah. I mean, I don't particularly care. I don't know if other people still care. <laughs> about, um, the net result is he's not the head coach of Ulster. He wasn't going to be the head coach of Ulster anymore. But in the build-up to, as we said, your biggest game since the 2012 in Cup final, arguably even longer, <laughs> you have this situation where the narrative's completely shifted. It's more of this whole... Um, Ulster as a Brian Driscoll basket case image of the coach gone missing. we don't know where he is it may, it may be his day off but we can't get him on the phone he might be at La Rochelle. we're not really sure anymore um, well is there I mean as
0: probably most people have seen by now John I had a little bit of a pop at BBC reporter. I think it was Gavin Andrews wasn't it was, it? Yeah. Um, for asking if there was no sort of bad blood between himself and
2: Ulster is there well he certainly didn't seem to think so and sort of left Gavin mid-interview it seemed like um, I always feel bad for the reporter in any situation (laughs) exactly I'm like oh
0: there but by the grace of God yeah
2: (laughs) well no because I looked down and saw that it was Gavin and I was like that's probably a good thing because he'll be able to uh, he'll be fine he'll be be grand. he'll he'll, he'll be able to deal with whatever awkwardness is about to ensue here and like I mean it should be noted that I don't know whether just more detached from the final whistle or whatever, but Jono was certainly calmed down from that when he spoke to us about I know forty five minutes later or whatever, Um, and elaborated a little bit on the process of why he was there and whether or where he would be next year and sort of answered the same sort of questions with a bit more um, meat on the bone, as it were, but. I think what you're talking about is there a sour taste like there may Jono maybe answered that 100% honestly maybe he well, I assume he doesn't feel any mm-hmm. sour taste towards it um, but I think Ulster certainly members of Ulster management and Ulster employees last week were probably put in a fairly difficult situation because they were getting questions about where their head coach was and they didn't mm-hmm. know in fact they thought they knew and it turned out he was not where they thought they were so that is again just a bad PR look Mm -hmm. and you can say those kind of things don't matter Like I think John Kinney before I'd even finished asking the question yesterday had answered it and I know it did not affect our preparation whatsoever if you have your preparation affected by that kind of thing then you're not prepared essentially was his take on it but it's just it's how it looks and you can say that how it looks is a superficial thing it's not important but in a season when you've had various things that haven't looked good it's just Mm. another sort of layer to the whole thing and you know I actually think that Ulster have really sort of cultivated this us against the world thing recently so maybe they don't care when they attract negative um headlines or negative impressions but um, might actually be good for them given the last four or five weeks but I just think it was just a really strange situation a really strange scenario and it just seemed so needless
1: all it needed was Jonu to say to someone by the way I'm off to La Rochelle on Thursday to talk to them it, it didn't need anything more than that, because that's all the information you need for Ulster management to, to be able to say to other people, well, yes, he is off to La Rochelle. That's the end of it.
2: Well, I don't know, like, Ulster have interviewed people over Skype before, so, like, do they not have internet connection in La Rochelle, <laughs> it's a story when well, you two were both there you should have checked if you'd known we, um, we, we were saying before
0: it even happened
1: La Rochelle <laughs> airport isn't exactly a very big place yeah, it's, like it's a, hard to hide someone there
0: yeah. <laughs> I just imagine them in this sort of a pair there's like funny glasses with a nose and a mustache on them and all <laughs> yeah. well,
2: like, you know, I suppose if it wasn't reported in France then given how few people and as far as we know Jono and probably his family knew about it and nobody else Um, you know maybe they could have got away with it but that only works if like the people in France aren't briefing keep and stuff Mm -hmm. and anyone else had phoned them up a Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. well if he does
0: end up in La Rochelle then um, how big a blow is that to Ulster I mean I think everybody was content, it's a coach, Ulster would otherwise have liked to keep but I think everybody was content with he wants to go home to his family that's fine, thanks, cheerio if he is, now turns out he's leaving Ulster to go to a team who aren't playing Championship Rugby, is that, is that a better pill to swallow for Ulster? Is that tough to take? I don't,
2: I don't think so, because they knew he wasn't going to be here anyway. And, you know, you're essentially talking about a flesh wound. Like, it maybe it doesn't feel that good, or maybe it doesn't look that good, but the actual net result isn't in any way different. John Gibbs came here under different circumstances than he leaves here. Um so he came here essentially like let's not beat around the bush to be the forwards coach to Les Kids. Um and then three months into his tenure he becomes the head coach, which is a new experience for him. We have no um, real indication whether it's an experience that he wanted or liked. Um There was more going on this season at Ulster for a head coach than most head coaches will ever have to deal with. Um, He's not someone who relishes doing media. The head coach has to do an absolute pile of media. Hmm. Um, Some of the media he had to do had nothing to do with rugby whatsoever, purely because he had this title of head coach. And even just the playing squads that he would have expected to be working with very quickly it became apparent it was not the squad that he was working with so like there are plenty of reasons that if Jono had have said nah lads this isn't for me then I think because again yes you know you're thinking about somebody who has no connection to Elster before last summer you can't expect him to be um a died in the Will Ulsterman, he's going to stay and try and write a ship that's taken on water. That's not what he signed up for, and if he thought it was a better package in La Rochelle, then that's just something that you have to deal with, that's sport. You know, Dan McFarland's coming in here because he wants to be here rather than Scotland's forwards coach, and... I don't think anyone's, anyone here is complaining about that, you know, oh we don't want Diamond Farrell because he's breaking a Scotland contract or whatever. <laughs> so I think yeah like you have to look at it as professional sport is a business, especially when it's not so much a representative side anymore because it's not yeah. really. Mm-hmm. But just the whole the the way that everything looked on Thursday essentially really was just not good, mm-hmm. but it was avoidable. But it's not like anybody woke up today expecting Jonah Gibbs to be Ulster's head coach, and he's not. You know this isn't like a yeah. Bill Belichick leaving the New York Jets for the New England Patriots type scenario. This is just as someone that's leaving has still left, and there was a little bit of a hiccup during the week. The players say it didn't affect their preparation. They won the game anyway. But it's just, it's optics really. It's something to talk about.
0: Well, before you throw in any more references to American sport and I'm more clueless than normal, um, we'll move on to the game on Sunday. Um, 35-17 victory over Ospreys. Thank goodness. Basically, um, performance-wise then, Adam, what, uh, how, how good was it?
1: Honestly, the performance wasn't, the thing that mattered most in this game because last game of the season they're now not going to play again for another uh, 12 weeks we were working out there so performance wasn't the huge thing it was getting the job done which they did really well I was really impressed with how clinical they were Uh, whenever the opportunity sort of presented itself they had to be clinical that
2: first try Mm because it was the first time i would actually been in the opposition (laughs)
1: exactly (laughs) But the thing was they had to weather that Osprey storm sort of started. It was never overly threatening, but they did have to do a lot of defending for the first sort of 25 uh, minutes to half an hour. And then whenever they got the chances, they scored that one just before halftime. The one just after halftime I thought was particularly key because going in one point ahead at the break was very good for how the first half had gone. But to get that try right after the restart, it just took them out to that you know, that two-score game. And from there, the Ospreys never really looked like uh, battling back. But the thing was, Ulster got the job done, and that's all they needed to do coming into this game. It didn't matter how they played, it didn't matter what the result was, as long as it was in their favour
0: come the 80 minutes. And they did that another chance um, well taken by John Cooney to firm his place in the hearts of Ulster supporters impressive again
2: yeah John Cooney was very very good even when things weren't going particularly well and you're really talking the first 25 minutes to half an hour there because um, Ulster were not good to start the game um, Ospreys were very much on top the most impressive thing from Ulster in the first quarter really was just their line speed in defence which is Something's come on massively under, um. Oh well wait, we, we're guessing Jared Payne, really. Um, since he's come in as defence coach, um. But Cooney was buzzing around as he does, flying into tackles as he does. Making everyone worried that he's gonna hurt himself as he flies <laughs> into Alwyn Jones. Um, a very good game. I thought it was. I thought it was Cairn Treadwell's best game of the season. Um, by a fair distance. I thought Sean Reedy was good again thought Nick Timoney was good again, um, especially in the first hour before he picked up the knock. Um, probably forgetting somebody. Tom O'Toole was Tom O'Toole was very good, right obviously. Sean Kavanagh on Twitter would, would give it up to you for forgetting
0: him, because he asked how he was Tom O'Toole not man that match.
2: Tom O'Toole obviously thrown into the starting team um, during the warm-up whenever Ross Cain um, dropped out. Uh, had to go 80 minutes because we're not really convinced that Rodney IU was ever going to come on in that game unless like Tom O'Toole's leg fell off or something <laughs> because like Rodney was stood in a sitch like 20 minutes before the game started and then uh,
1: I've never seen Rodney run as fast as he did to get out for that warm up about 10 minutes before kickoff
2: like <laughs> cause, yeah because he he wasn't there and then, nope. he, and then he was warming <laughs> up and um, more people at this stage I think were focusing on the fact that PSI here the I reading talk all week that he may, maybe wouldn't make it and then uh, he disappeared from the warm up so everyone was sort of yeah. looking at that and then um, Rodney appeared in the warm up having supposedly been out for the rest of the season um, and then whenever the subs were warming up you could see Rodney doing like um, sprints and stuff with Kev Geary so he was doing a very different warm up to the other subs and I think they were probably trying to see whether he was good to go or not Um so, he was obviously only going to come on in a real emergency. So, Tom Mitchell had to go 80 minutes. He gets around the park very well. He's obviously got um, experience playing as a back rower when he was a kid growing up. Um, still, as a kid, like but you know, when he was a younger kid growing up. Um, and like the thing, I know like they gave away um, the scrum panel and stuff, but the thing about him is he's so young to be playing at this level that scrummaging mm-hmm. will come. Like, this is why you normally see. Props emerge, um, so much said yeah, much later in life, having mm-hmm. an All Ireland League, um, grinding because like he's gone from scrummaging against kids in uh, school, where playing a little bit of All Ireland League and now playing senior rugby for Ulster just because of the way the tight head situation has gone, so it was another really really encouraging performance from him like. I know people are gonna point fingers with the scrum, having saw what happened in the game against Edinburgh when he made his debut and stuff who was very good again, apart from the scrums, but like that will come and especially like Dan McFarland is seen it as essentially a set piece technician. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do with some some guys like Tom Oto. Well you do have to remember Uto was up against Nicky Smith
1: and then Roger Jones came on who are both Wales international yeah. props mm-hmm. now I can't remember I'm looking at it up here now as we speak who uh, he was up against whenever they played Edinburgh um, he was up against uh, Jordan Lay and Rory Sutherland yeah so, yeah, so like it's, like it's inter- apples inter- and oranges yeah. you know you're, you're facing two international props uh, and yeah, Sunday as compared to Jordan Lane, Rory Southern. So you have to give him a bit of leeway on on that regard. But you can see how much he wants it. And I think that's that's one of the big things. He's given his chance uh, from the off whenever he wasn't expecting to. But he got stuck in right from the start. And that's what Ulster have needed for a long time. They need guys who are going out there who absolutely have the passion to grab a game by a scruff of the neck and say, I'm going to make an impression here. And he is one who has done that in the past few months. And I think it's not necessarily just because of him, but it's no coincidence that Ulster's form has taken an upturn when the likes of him and Dalton and Ray and Timoney have all been given their chances. Well, when we
2: John Dixon on the, on the podcast, you know, he was saying about the energy that these young guys energy. bring in them. Um, <laughs> You no, know, so we've seen eight guys now from the academy, um, blotted over the course of the season, and we've spoke before at length. But like, the academy is going to be the most important thing. The academy output is going to be the most important thing in getting Ulster back to a point where they're challenging for trophies. Because you're not going to have, you're not going to chance upon a crop of Irish internationals anymore. You're not going to chance across a crop of three world class and one very very good NIQ anymore these Mm -hmm. things aren't going to happen so you need like me and Adam were talking about this the other day actually like if you're looking at that group of academy players you really need to be getting you know six or seven Irish internationals out of those 14 players 15 players that everyone has such high hopes for Mm -hmm. and that's what you're probably looking at as being one of the more encouraging things about this season I know there's not a huge amount to pick from like but the way Nick Timoney who's not an academy player anymore but has come to the academy has played has been huge and um, we've seen Tom O'Toole we've seen Matt Dalton and um, Matty Ray before he got injured so you're seeing the first batch of those then you've got guys like Angus Curtis who's played a little bit and um, Michael Lowry John McFarland. ding ding is ding a, ding
0: ding.
1: A, ding Michael Lowry mentioned <laughs> he's heard of Manbridge now, and he's gotten excited <laughs> it's just Johnny's weekly
2: Michael Lowry oh sorry <laughs> Joe Levy, who's a player um, that I've really liked whenever I've seen him and you're looking at this group of players that are probably going, if there is a next good Ulster team these players are going to be the core of it and that's probably where that'll become even more stark, I think, when people look at team sheets next season. And, you know, you don't have Trimble, you don't have Bow, you don't have Piatai, um, you don't have Jackson, you don't have Olding, and um, so on and so forth. So the team sheet is going to look very unfamiliar next year, mm. and you need more of these boys to step up when they are given the chance.
0: Well, we'll talk a little more about next year's team sheet later on. Um as we begin to branch into our listener questions, then um, a neat way to segue into it, uh, one of the other aspects of Sunday's game, the supporters in the stands, and how there wasn't probably quite as many of them as there usually are. So Gary Crawford asked, "How big a statement was it that?" I know. Oh, how big a? How Hang on. Let me start this again. <laughs> how big of a statement was that from the fans not to turn up? The attendance, I think, was what, just over seven thousand.
2: I don't mean I don't mean this in an offensive way to anyone that stayed away um, to make a protest, but it would have been a far more emphatic gesture if they didn't turn up in numbers for a game that they already had tickets for. Yeah.
1: Um, I was going to say you've got to bear in mind this was on a Sunday at three o'clock. Nobody season ticket holders had to buy their tickets. Because it was a Pro 14 game, not an Ulster game. So there are a lot of factors at play here that aren't just people staying
0: away in protest. But it, but it was a, a massive game. I mean, surely, was, under it normal a ma- circumstances, it a massive is that between something you, that excites fans and brings out people even who
2: normally don't go. But if you look at the. Um, well, in terms of bringing out people that don't normally go, I don't think the game was particularly hyped.
1: No, it's, it's 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 not a Heineken Cup quarter final. Yeah. Sorry, Champions Cup quarter final, or a, even a Pro Fourteen semifinal. Mm-hmm. It's a Champions Cup playoff.
2: Because Pro Fourteen doesn't have relegation, we're not used to having a game of this magnitude, where the best possible outcome isn't silverware. Yeah, people like yeah. To, people like to see winners. You know, we don't have what you have in football where you see mad celebrations like a team's just won the champions league when what they've actually done is stay in the premier league so you don't have this protecting of the status quo being an achievement so people i think people find it difficult to buy into this game as a big mm-hmm. game i think certainly when we were looking at they might have buzz um generated by it in terms of like traffic and stuff and um, it just wasn't there mm. Um, I got a parking space right outside the stadium which I never do I I meant like website traffic social media traffic not like the traffic but that also that That also works (laughs) That's, that's a perfectly fine anecdote as well like I think there was enough things on enough mitigating circumstances enough big games and I'm talking about Scarlet's and Munster quarterfinals which also drew low crowds there were enough things on enough other circumstances, enough recent examples of how hard it is to sell a game when you have a small lead-in and season ticket holders don't get tickets that the automatic reaction to that is not going to be people are staying away because they don't like Shane Logan. I think if if they had had 7,000 at the Glasgow game then yes, people would have thought that doesn't look good. And there were people talking about the crowd on social media and stuff mm-hmm. yesterday but there were also people talking about Monsters Cried two weeks ago on social media mm-hmm. when they only had 10,000 for the Edinburgh game. Mm-hmm. so it was not a uniquely Ulster phenomenon like Scarlets again being the example Scarlets sold out the quarterfinal for La Rochelle mm-hmm. and then had low numbers for the well, relatively low numbers for the Cheetahs um, quarterfinal so I think there was a Large combination of things. I would say that there were a number of fans who normally go whenever they can, and this was a new experience for them. But I just, I'm not sure if it registered in that way with a lot of people. I think if you had seen that amount of empty seats, where you didn't have any of these other extra mitigating factors, mm-hmm. then it probably would have hit him more. But. Mm. Can I put?
1: Can I point out? I thought the atmosphere was really good.
2: Oh, well, that's my awesome. yeah, next question? question.
1: Because for a game where people were complaining about the lack of people there, for a game where <laughs> we've been complaining about how there were, there wasn't really enough interest jumped up in it, the atmosphere was fantastic. People were really getting into it, and it's just that thought that you know when, whenever your backs are against the wall the fans will really get behind you
2: But it was after Jacob Stockdale launched your boy into touch yeah that was because it was silent before then yeah. like if ever anybody wanted to uh, get any messages of protest across whenever Osprey scored their first try was the time to do it because there was genuine silence yeah like it was a it was a weird silence when Osprey <laughs> scored that first try because nobody said anything there was, there was one Osprey's fan right below yeah, us who started clapping. cheering. <laughs> but apart from that, yeah, you're right, like his, complete silence. His, his clapping kind of echoed through the <laughs> stadium. But then later on, like it seemed like people were sort of starting to get their heads around the idea that this was going to be fairly catastrophic if yeah. they lost. And it, mm. like, let's not beat around the bush, it looked like they were going to lose because yeah. it didn't look like they were going to get back into that game from 20 minutes. The score didn't reflect it, but just in terms of who was on top. Mm-hmm. And then, I can't remember who it was because I haven't had time to watch the game back yet. Um, Jacob just flew into someone and drove them into touch. and then I, that, think, I they, think
1: it was Hanno Jackson. And then
2: that lifted everyone.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then it kind of stayed like that. And then as you say, like it was, the 7,000 people, um, as small a number as that was, made a fair amount of noise. There was obviously still, a like, continue to people, who probably been given tickets or mm. whatever um. who maybe weren't 100% included in what was going on but like yeah. it was a decent on put it this way it was the smallest fit attendance figure in what we were in about 10 years yeah. and it wasn't uh, it wasn't by any means the quietest the uh, yeah. grind been in 10 years well our next
0: question then um, W. Johnson Edwards would love an update on Jared Payne um, assuming there's nothing uh outstanding that we haven't sort of reported on before
2: with Jared? Just what we said before really um, um, we very much expect him to be Ulster's an assistant coach at Ulster next year it's unfortunate but um, the one thing that I would say about it and we asked John Kenny about this yesterday as well is just how much better Ulster's defence has got because whenever Les left um, Les Kiss left sorry and then there was Talk about how Andy Farrell was going to come in and help out, and then that didn't materialize. Um, we talked about that on the podcast before as well, um, and then the defense just got miles, and miles better. Like whenever you were watching the first quarter of that game, like there wasn't. Ospreys had plenty of the ball, but also his line speed was really, really good. That was the sort of positive that you would pick out of the first twenty minutes, and. If you just look at the numbers, like um, the defense over the last sort of five, six, seven games, it looks so much better. They haven't had any of the like complete defensive meltdowns that they had earlier in the season. so um, John Cody was just speaking about Jared and um, really about how good he's been since he's been in that role. And it sounds like it's something that he can really make a success of. Well,
1: he is first in the Ireland form of defence, you know, in the very much in-your-face defence, which is good, so he's he's bringing something that is going to be very familiar, but as as you say, since he's taken over, Ulster's defence it maybe hasn't been great sort of on the stat sheets, but it's it's been absolutely vital in the moments that have mattered. Yeah, like, and that's, that's the key. You can look at the stats and say, well, she conceded three tries there. They conceded three tries on Sunday. But you've got to remember, one of those was a mall, well, pretty much a mall try. One which, of them all try, and yeah, two of them happened
2: uh, after they would essentially won the game. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. So,
2: like, I, I agree with you 100%. There may be the stats aren't quite there yet, but obviously they held. Um, ospreys to no tries the time before um but they're certainly passing the eye test a lot more than they were in uh october november december yeah and if you don't believe
0: what we have to say about it here's what um john cooney had to say about jared payne yeah i think jared's been excellent since he's become coach he, he he's a hard individual and he'll, re, he'll relay what he thinks he and stuff like that but i think that's what we need uh he's been, honestly, he's been unbelievable. He just puts a lot of pressure and he really wants us to go after teams. And as you can see, our defence did trouble a bit throughout the season. And even keeping Osprey to zero tries in the first game, stuff like that, it just makes a huge difference and he's really got us going. Lots of questions then coming in this week, as always, really, about um, a certain Shane Logan. So uh, we've picked out a couple of these. We'll just sort of throw them together and... um, discuss that. The first one from Stephen McCormick asks, is the strong leadership of Rory Best the only factor that has saved Shane Logan's tenure as CEO to date? And then Martin McGoon asks, is there any truth to the rumours that Logan will be leaving in the next few months with Ryan Constable taking over? Obviously in the last podcast we had discussed this around Neil Best's tweet that Logan was set to leave to be replaced by a former Ulster player. Um, so, yeah, just moving that on a little bit then. I think you can apply the phrase "there's no
1: uh, what is it no smoke without, no smoke without fire", fire. Um, to this, In that we're not sure yet, sort of what the end result will be, but there it, it'll have come from something. In terms of Rory Best, I thought it was very interesting that after the game, the guys all got into a big circle. Uh, everyone and Rory was speaking to them and that's the kind of leadership that you see from Rory Best he commands respect he commands uh, that kind of if I speak you listen and there's been so much made of the fact that he was the one who sat them all down after the Cardiff game and said look draw a line in the sand, which has been mentioned so many times. This is where we go from here, and this is how we finish our season strongly. And I think if that doesn't happen, if you don't have a Rory Bestal figure in that team, then we could be talking about a completely different end to the season where Mm -hmm. we possibly didn't even have a game on Sunday. So I think Rory has absolutely been one of the key reasons why this season has turned around. Uh, and I was very afraid for Ulster's chances whenever it was announced that he wasn't playing because mm-hmm. there were all those rumours that <laughs> he wouldn't play and then he wasn't named the team. Uh, I, ge- I genuinely was concerned because I was wondering where is the leadership on the pitch if things start to go wrong. And especially. With Henderson not there. With Henderson not there and Jarkin not, right there, and the Jar-Kee Jar-Kee not there. And especially whenever they conceded that first try, I thought to myself, who is. Taking these guys and saying, we're not out of this because you're down on the scoreboard and you're basically being pummeled left, right, and centre. So Rory has been such a key part of this, and I've said it before, they need they need more from other people rather than just Rory. But certainly this season wouldn't be where it is without him. And whether or not that's enough to keep Logan At Kingsman Stadium is something we'll just have to wait and see because.
2: I'm guessing that the question is sort of in a. If Rory hadn't taken the team together after Cardiff, would they have qualified for the Champions Cup? And if they hadn't qualified for the Champions Cup, (coughs) would Shane Logan's tenure be over already? Well, then, sorry, can I answer that then?
1: <laughs> All right, so, man. Sorry, 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 sorry. I, I, was, I sounded very antagonistic there and If Rory hadn't taken the team and done that draw the line on the sand talk or whatever, no. I don't think they would have qualified for the Champions Cup and then we've talked about it so much. How much how much influence <laughs> How much L- more can we say? <laughs> how much how much influence does Logan actually have over on the field matters?
2: How much influence does Shane Logan have on off-the-field matters? Because, again, we'll, we'll go back to this John Cooney interview. Um, Seems like John Kinney is the answer for everything. Pff, we just need a direct line to Kinney and then <laughs> we'll be sweet. <laughs> um, whenever John's talking about Dan and obviously their kind of careers overlapped, he said he's obviously impressed Joe, and they left it at that. Now, we all fully believe that they are if you are obviously making these calls. And I think Shane Logan, even in the statement to announce Dan McFarlane's appointment, made reference to the other people that he was thinking that it wasn't really anything to do with him. But look, like, in these sort of decisions, and it can be positive and negative, you can go back to our or Patty Jackson and Sterrowling, whatever. Um it certainly doesn't appear that there's a great deal of influence in the upper, upper, upper management of Ulster in comparison to what's happening in Dublin. You know, John Kinney's talking about and Maybe it's a slip of the tongue, but he's essentially confirming what everyone suspected all along. Joe Schmidt picked the next coach of Ulster. It was nothing to do with Shane Logan. So, uh, like, if that goes wrong, then it's probably used as a negative of Shane Logan's tenure rather than a negative of D4's... Um, I was going to say ruling. Up, ruling maybe a little bit strong, but the guiding, the guiding hand provided by D4 in Ulster. So, the... Uh, it's, we're still going back to this idea that we've gone back to and gone back to and gone back to of one Ulster as an organisation are in a better place than they were whenever Shane Logan took over so that's one thing to sort of cloud this issue two the other thing that clouds the issue uh, is how much can he do how much scope does he have to actually affect genuine change and we're not sure how much that is and then three the other thing that clouds the issue is I was listening to another podcast um, just last week and I was in the office and they were saying like how many people how many rugby fans in Ireland do you think not like proper proper diehard fans but floating voters if you like can name the CEO of other rugby teams on the island the answer, I, they were speculating the answer is very low, and I probably yeah. think it is. Okay. But that's not the case with Shane Logan, because he came out and said that Ulster were going to dominate the world or whatever he said, um, which put a target on his back that they, they haven't been able to live up to. Like, I have issues with the way Shane Logan's media strategy has been implemented. Um. Obviously, we've talked about that before a lot as well, but I do sometimes wonder in this hypothetical world, like what people's view of Shane Logan would be if he hadn't said that, because I do like I honestly don't think that when Leinster or Munster, um, struggle on the pitch that people's first, um instinct is it must be the ceo's fault mm, yeah. because you're really looking at what sort of tangible influence he has and it's probably not a case where somebody else comes in and like you know dons a cowboy hat and spurs and it's like well now i'm going to sort out the you because that's not the way irish rugby works in the same way that no organization works like that, where the people you're reporting to are not. You know, you can't just branch off and say, "I'm my own entity now." So, regardless of whether Shane Logan leaves this month, next month, next month, whatever, it's tempering that idea that Shane Logan leaving is the uh, the medicine to cure all ills, because a CEO while an important job isn't connected in the same way that a head coach should be to what's going on in the field and like you can talk about i'll make better coaching appointments or whatever or pick a coach that's going to be available in (laughs) pre-season rather than in january but we're talking about by all accounts shane logan hasn't had anything to do with that and isn't in a position to have anything to do with it in the same way that um, anybody in a position is not or sorry, anybody in an organization is not in a position to overrule their boss. Like Shane Logan maybe did want to keep Ryan Peynard. But it doesn't matter who the also CEO was, they weren't gonna be able to. Because once they said no, they said no. Mm-hmm. And like we've seen mm-hmm. that with other um, Organize other provinces where you know, like say the Stephen Murray example with Munster or whatever. Like, if the IRFU made a decision, then they're gonna stick with it. It doesn't matter whether your CEO is somebody who's going to adhere to that or your CEO is somebody that's gonna go in and say, This is a disgrace, we won't stand for this. And it's like Right, well, what are you gonna do then? Nothing. Like, <laughs> Ireland take precedence overall, so that's how it happens. And then you have this other sort of situation I suppose just to go back to the PNR thing and talking about the RFU governance the issue there is that if you're looking at it from the outside not in terms of optics not in the human treatment of Ryan PNR which was shameful from a purely rugby playing point of view John Kenny's been brilliant and you now have an extra Irish qualified scrum half playing so there's no deterrence there for for the RFU to do anything differently the next time because what they did Purely in a replay and point of view, worked out.
0: So they were right to make us to get rid of him. No, I'm only
2: joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> right, um, <laughs> Don't
0: open live <laughs> uh, oh, I feel so like it's 2016 <laughs> <all> over. <laughs> so, uh, do you expect Logan to go over somewhere?
2: Quickly. As um, time's going on. There's an awful lot of talk that he is going to go, as I'm said, in a smoke without fire. But all I would say to tamper the uh, the online enthusiasm is I'm not convinced that the man himself um, wants to go or thinks it's time to go.
0: Okay. Right, well, we said earlier that we would get back to discussing Ulster's squad for next season. Um, a lot of players in the going out column here for this summer. We have course of course, Charles Pieta is leaving, Andrew Trimble, Paul Marshall, Tommy Boo... Uh, Robbie Dyer Colin Black Brett Herron um, and then we have, of course have Stuart Olding and Paddy Jackson who have already left we have Jared Payne who we have said is unlikely to play again um, so filling all of those gaps uh, Jordy Murphy and Marty Moore so Will Allison. <laughs> <and Will Addison. laughs> I forgot about Will Allison. sorry Will I um, said if he's listening uh, who else then are, are Ulster likely to sign many more players at this stage and if so what position? I think we are like... Just on behalf of about the dozen people who asked that <laughs> or something along those yeah. lines. I
2: don't know, like seven or eight players are leaving, put it this way, seven or eight, eight players are not coming in. They may make a few more additions. Their transfer of business is a bit delayed this year because of the Jackson and Olding situation. Um, normally, business is pretty much... Concluded by this stage, and we can all just take June and July off, and it's great. But um, they're we all, you mean you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Between last summer and this summer, like it would be nice if things could just be done when the season finishes. <laughs> no such luck. Um, I think they're gonna have a smaller squad. I think they're going to have possibly a less expensive squad. I think they're going to put more faith in their academy players to fill holes rather than senior players who, with the best one in the world, are probably um, as good as they're going to be. Um, I'm not talking about anyone specifically, I don't even know who I have in mind. I'm so. <laughs> not saying that about anyone who's leaving, just talking about the general change in the squad profile. And they're going to work on the basis that they have to get to this academy crop, 5, 10, whatever. Um, pro fourteen games next year. Um, I still think I still think they'll add somebody. I think they'll add a ten.
0: And as I will, yeah. Assuming we can expect a ten, is that it? I would imagine so. You've got to bear in mind
1: that, and we've said this in the podcast before. At this stage of the season, most people have their futures sorted for next season. There are very few people who are still sitting there waiting to sign a contract with someone. Now it's a bit different in super rugby because they've they work on a different uh, calendar to us. But at the at this stage in the season if you haven't done all your transfer dealings yet, you're leaving yourself with a very small pool to select from and they're not necessarily the guys that you want to be selecting from. Uh with all the respects to the guys who maybe are sitting there without contracts. So you're not able to sit there and say, well, I'll take Artie Savea for next year and we'll grab Rieko Ioni for... uh, or uh, Ioani for our back line as well. It's just not like that. So I think even if Ulster were to add someone, it wouldn't be someone that anyone would be getting overly excited about or would be in a position to sincere,
2: seriously affect the squad or impact the squad um, I, th- I think again you have to take into consideration that um, anyone you do try and sign has to be approved mm-hmm. let's say completely hypothetically you're looking to sign an out half like Eldon Yandis and let's say completely hypothetically um, the RFU would rather you signed An Irish out-half. And let's say completely hypothetically, none of the Irish out-halves are particularly keen on coming to you. This is a lot of completely hypothetically. I'm sceptical. Hypothetically, (laughs) what do you do?
1: Hypothetically? (laughs) (laughs) The problem is, everyone is expecting Ulster to add more because they're losing all these guys. And Johnny's gone over this already. Ulster very much transitioning to a younger team with a lot more academy guys coming through and I think people just have to come to acceptance that that's going to happen. You're going to see your Angus Curtis's, you're going to see your Dunleavy's, your Dalton's uh, all those guys coming through and playing a lot more games to try and boost the Ulster representation in this Ulster team. Um. I included Angus Curtis in that, and he's he wasn't born here, so uh, that was a bad example. Yeah, his dad but, was an Irishman, Sorry, well yes, but you know what I mean. You're wanting guys who have, you know, uh, who come up through the academy, who have been with Ulster for a long time. You want them pushing up and into the squad and making an impact. You don't want to be bringing in guys from elsewhere in the hope that they can fill holes, you want to be ma- filling those internally and that's what's going to happen from now on and I don't think it's necessarily a bad move it's absolutely not, Like no. you talk
2: about how you build a good team and I'm sure there are people who are sick I was us using Leinster as the example of I was deliberately staying away from that but <laughs> you look at Leinster and Leinster when they had their bad season in the Champions Cup not that long ago, threw in a load of boys against Bath they everyone said, ah oh, they're too young, white you throwing a game in the Champions Cup, that's disrespectful. Yadda yeah, yada yeah, yada. Yeah. Boys all turned out to be brilliant. Nylanster are the best team in Europe. I'm not saying that you do that and you become the best team in Europe. But you have to know You're edging close to your Shane Logan. world moment here. domination <laughs> <laughs> the, n- the next address I give will be from a bunker and <laughs> only uh, broadcasting injuries. <laughs> 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 I've lost my thought of. Um, yes sorry I'm not saying that you do that and you become the best team in Europe but you have to eventually stop talking about what you have and find out what you have mm-hmm. and with an awful lot of the players at Ulster have had over the last number of years they've known what they have and now it's time to find out what they have in this mm-hmm. Academy Cup that people whose opinions we would respect like Willie Anderson says is the best group of young players he can remember Ulster having
1: yeah, <laughs> This this is the point where you can't just start throwing guys in because of injury as well. You have to start giving them time mm-hmm. in teams that matter. You know you have to put, just to use Dalton as an example again, you have to put Dalton beside Henderson in the mm-hmm. second row. You have to put Eric O'Sullivan beside Rory Best in the front row because you see how Tom O'Toole is working mm-hmm. with Rory Best in the front row and how much that's brought him on. You have to put Angus Curtis beside Darren Cave in the centres as the experienced guy beside the inexperienced guy. You can't suddenly think, "Oh goodness, we've lost four back rowers to injury. Let's put out a back row of Aaron Hall, Matty Agnew, and Joe Dunlevy." Well, like, you know that that's yeah. just throwing them in at the deep end where they're um, they're gonna have mm-hmm. to try and swim whenever they've haven't even had the chance yet.
2: Now we've but, talked about this before. Like one of the most disappointing things for me this season, and obviously there were number of different things to choose one of the most disappointing things for me this season was in a press conference when I was asked is this some part of a strategy to give your young players more games when a few of them started to appear weeks in a row and the answer was no we just don't have a choice everyone's injured so well you know having an actual coherent strategy about giving your young players minutes would be a good thing it shouldn't just be a case of oh, well, we don't really have any choice because everyone's out mm. injured so here they are like, I,
1: I don't mind academy guys coming in whenever players are injured. I mean, that's, that's essentially what happens, but you have to be giving them yeah, more, than more than time before that. Because you look, you look at the fact that you had Jack Regan on the bench on Sunday, and he didn't come on, and I don't know why he didn't what come did that on. did they
2: get on, give given that they dig- came on they were, the flank?
1: <laughs> they were 23 points up with just over five minutes to go, and Jack Regan's still sitting on the bench. There's your perfect opportunity to give him six minutes. Uh, That sounds really sarcastic. (laughs) You're putting him into a Pro 14 game, you know, even if it's just for six minutes. He gets six minutes of exposure in a game and say, look, you've gotten a taste of it. Take that into next year and make more of
2: it. I was massively confused whenever... uh... John Andrew came on and then Rob Herring was still playing because it was like John <laughs> Andrew's <was> coming, <laughs> yeah. coming on so like right Rob Herring's off looked down at my laptop and then five minutes later <laughs> or two minutes later looked up Rob was still there yeah. John Andrew was on the field couldn't really <laughs> work out what was happening but just, just put it this way let's, let's say hypothetically
1: going back to the hypotheticals um, so many
2: hypotheticals I-
1: hypothetically if both Treadwell and O'Connor get injured in the first ten minutes Suddenly, Jack Reagan has to come on for his first Pro 14 game against Bradley Davis and Alan Wynne-Jones, one of the most experienced lock pairings in the entire league, and play 70 minutes in his first Ulster game. That's not the situation you want to be in, and it could be avoided by just giving him a few games during the season. It doesn't have to be play 15 games well, in think, a like, season. I think
2: Jack Reagan was a bit of a strange... Or that example is a bit of a strange case, because you have given Maddie Dalton games throughout the season. That's true. And then Maddie Dalton wasn't there. Um,
0: Well, before we move away from the squad and signing thing, um, just on that number 10, it's a bit of a Strange one in that we you know what, what they're going to do, how they're going to people in because of all the hypothetical situations of the other Irish number 10s not wanting to up and the hypothetical situations of Ulster wanting to sign somebody else. But is there any chance that, hypothetically, Ulster could hypothetically end up hypothetically with Johnny McPhillips as their hypothetical starting number 10 next season?
2: Hypothetically? <laughs> <laughs> Pers- personally, personally, I'm not sure that I see it. Because I think you have to have somebody to um, bring McPhillips along. He has a, a bit more experience, but so as complicated as this situation is,
0: somebody's going. To, they're going to get it resolved. In but some it's way.
2: it's probably been complicated further by the fact that Johnny McPhillips has actually been quite very good yeah. recently,
1: yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> especially on Sunday. Yeah. So like, there is an argument that could be made. By somebody who was speaking with a slight Ulster shoe, mm-hmm. that you'd be better off having Johnny Phillips than bringing somebody else in, and um, that would currently be free and floating mm-hmm. around Ireland. Like somebody could make that argument, especially when you have other tens in the system that you're looking to bring along.
0: Okay. Um, well,
2: I'm not gonna name, <laughs> but. I think you would need to have an experienced hand on the tiller, but also somebody who's better than what you currently have. And those two different things, you could make a case of, you're not going to get that unless you look abroad. Mm. Because remember that some of these boys that are being admitted aren't particularly experienced either.
1: Carbury's what? Yeah two years as a senior professional, yeah. and Ross Byrne won.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, ironically, and I, w- I would never wish this upon any player, and I'm absolutely delighted Johnny McPhillips has shown his potential. I think he's been a real bright spot for the last few months. But the best thing for Ulster would have been if he hadn't played so well, because then the argument is fully in their favour of mm-hmm. we need to get someone in. And... He's just made it so much more difficult by playing so well, I and it's, it's it's so. It's, I I would like to stress. I'm delighted that he's playing mm. so well, but <laughs> the argument has yeah. just been completely muddied because he is now a viable
2: option at ten. And another part of the argument being that he would have played a lot less if Stephen Donald had uh, been signed <laughs> like he was meant to. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: true. Well, time will tell um, over summer as to what's going to happen, who's going to come in, um, the season as a whole. Then, just to to finally bookend it. Um, David McGins- McGimsey, McGim- who I can nearly get that out, <laughs> um, who is the Belfast Giants podcaster, we're told yes. by our resident Belfast Giants fan. Hello, Davy. Um, he asks, "Was this season a success or a failure?" So, very briefly, as time is basically up,
1: <laughs> I think you'll be you'll have a tough time finding anyone who calls this season a success. They salvaged. Yeah, but they but salvaged Cam- a lot of uh, they salvaged a lot of respect by getting into the Champions Cup for next season. But when you take the season as a whole, how how it's gone? The great start being ruined by that horrible middle stretch, especially around the Interpros going out of Europe missing out on the playoffs and needing a playoff of your own to get into the Champions Cup for next season from a purely rugby perspective I think it's very hard to call this season a success
0: but can you call it a total failure given the the amount of young players that have come through the fact that they've escaped the Champions Cup rugby going forward could this season and those young players prove good grounding for the years ahead (laughs) and we've escaped with
2: Champions Cup yeah, escapes probably the word and um, i suppose you need you need to try and bring it those to the perspective too because the season was an absolute hemes and um, it really was some of that was a bolsters making and good chunks of that were not a bolsters making but if you're talking about the season as a whole that's maybe not as important as what happened in the last two months because in the last two months when it looked like they were going to get caught by Treviso, to go unbeaten in your last five games and secure a place in the Champions Cup. So, essentially for all that's gone on um, and disregarding the players that you had last year that you don't have um, next year, you're not in a worse position than you were this time last year. So, I can understand how you could pitch it that it hasn't been the unmitigated disaster that it has quite frequently felt like. Yeah. But that's really down to the last five games rather than anything preceding it. But it's just whether you really want to harp on the reasons for the failures, given that a high percentage of them aren't going to be here anymore, or aren't going to be factors moving forward. So if you're looking at where you are moving forward, Adam talked about, Rory Best Line in the sand, then the last five weeks you can look at as something to build on. But you probably really, really want to forget the six months that preceded that. Well, and with that it's gone, it's done,
0: we can draw our own line in the sand. The 17-18 season is over, and Austria's still in the Champions Cup. Looking ahead then, um, very briefly before we finish, there has, well first of all there has this morning, Monday morning, been the announcement of the Ireland under 20 squad. We have seven Ulster players there, oh, Angus Curtis obviously missed out three injury, but seven other Ulster players were named. Tom O'Toole, Matthew New Matthew Dalton, Joe Dunleavy, Aaron Hall, James Hume, Johnny Stewart, all in the Ireland Under-20s. I mean that sort of sums up what we're saying really and that the future could... Could yeah, be okay.
2: because this is the interesting point that Bart S made on the forum about our, our Ulster better um, waiting a little while to spend the money from the players that are leaving because you don't really know what you have in these players. And, like, it's um, it's been just sort of the sort of standard talk for a while that Ulster need forwards. And I still think they need a set head and a lock um, as a high priority moving forward. But then when you look at the what they are coming through you've got five forwards out of that group of seven players so traditionally you've thought also should be spending all their money regardless of where I went on Charles Peter should be spending all their money on forwards and um, when it comes to NIQs but maybe in a year's time or two years time that might not be the case mm-hmm. because things have really flipped when you look at the back line given all the backs that they've lost this idea that Ulster have a good backline but just need the pack to release it isn't 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 the case anymore. So it's again, that squad is another indication of the changing face of the squad in one or two years and maybe another reason why you should look at this, saving a bit of money for when these players become available post-World Cup. I'm talking really fast because Gareth's panicking here at times. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got a point to make, so speak faster. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is just the fact that it's the most representation they've had at this level since 2011.
1: Well, you're talking about those pathways through and we're talking about where Ulster need to strengthen. Hooker looks sorted. You've got a tight head prop in there in Tom O'Toole. You've got a second row there in Matty Dalton and you've got two back rowers in Matty Agnew and Joe Dunleavy. Sorry, you've got three. Sorry, you've got Aaron Hall in there as well. So, there's your guys coming through who are filling those gaps where Ulster are perceived to need help. Now, they're not going to obviously become those uh, top-line guys that you need in 12 months, um, but they'll, they can certainly go a long way towards it if they get a lot of exposure in the senior
2: team. Yeah, I mean, the thing that we talked about, though, as well, last week was Ulster's record of turning Ireland under 20, internationals into Ireland, internationals is pretty poor. Yeah. So that's something that has to be monitored as well. It's not like we're saying, oh, there's seven boys mm-hmm. here in the under-20s, I mean, in three years, there'll be seven boys in the international <laughs> squad because yep. Ulster have fallen down in yeah. that way. Yeah. But well, how, how well could we see this Ireland under-20 squad doing
0: in the World Championship?
2: Not great. No. Horror draw. Um, yeah, they've like got in the group. Yeah. yeah. You, it's, good, the it's, good it's good they got... It's got probably not a vintage... It's probably not going to be seen as a vintage crop either. Nope. This isn't like the team of two years ago that's going to go to the final, and then we're going to see twelve months down the line, four of them in the Ireland squad. Like, yeah, it's, no. um, but it's really about experience, exposure, yeah. because you know, as I say, it's not the same as that crop two years ago. But you saw the way that Jacob Stockdale was able to really launch mm-hmm. that from mm-hmm. those tournaments into his professional career, and. How much his game came along with mm. just being in a tournament like that. So that's what you're looking from these boys, rather than saying, "Are they going to make the knockouts?" Because they're probably not.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's good to see that they've got Keelan Doris back, uh, but Angus Curtis is a huge loss to them. He mm. was so good during the Six Nations that um, you know not having him is it, it. forces them to rethink a lot of their strategy because so much came through him as the twelve, as the as the second receiver.
0: Well, good luck to all the lads that are playing for Ireland under 20s. The senior Ireland squad then play Australia will be announced later this week. And let's be honest, all Ulster fans want to know, is John Kearney going to be on this time?
2: I was saying this morning, because um, we don't really know when it's going to be announced, but we think it's going to be announced on Wednesday. And just saying that you could essentially write the piece now. Jeff, he just wrote a different intro. Outrageous John Kinney's out. <laughs> yeah. uh, Deserved call-up for John Kenny, And yeah. then the rest of it really takes care of itself. Um, the way that he's played, it would be incredibly tough to leave him out.
1: Yeah. Um, well, we've said that during the season that he's been left out.
2: Yeah, but I think in March um, and November, I think other scrum halves were playing... Well, too. So you could see that it was a call to make, even though we thought Kenny should have came out on the right side of that call with the benefit of seeing every game that he plays every week. But now the way that he's um, become with Ulster, where he's just so important, to not like I know he gets to go to Thailand on holiday if he's not called up, but um, <laughs> I think it would be incredibly harsh for him not to uh, not
0: to be in that squad but would he rather be in Thailand these are the unanswered questions <laughs> that will go unanswered because that's it for the season um, but we will be back we're not going to wait 12 weeks until Ulster's next game we did work it out earlier and that's uh, what
2: we're, we're looking at between now and they play Gloucester because we were asked if we just take the summer off and uh, as one of our listener questions, and the answer is no but we, we're, <laughs> we <do> not, not. <laughs> we're not convinced that we'll have that much to start, yeah,
0: yeah, but we will be back we're probably looking at the end of June after Ireland's games against Australia hey, we'll be back with a little podcast or feeling that there may be a little emergency Ulster Rugby roundup between now and then if something big occurs and with Ulster Rugby as we learn this season you just never know from Adam McAndry, cheers guys <laughs> from Jonathan Bradley thanks for listening and from myself Gareth Hanna thanks for listening this week and also all okay. right.